I think we're done with announcements. Uh, we are going to kind of change gears slightly. I kind of even thought about this last week as I had mentioned, like, oh, we're going to finish up Scent this week unless God does something or unless, well, God did something, okay? Uh, and so we're going to take a quick one-week break um, from Scent. We should, again, unless God does something, uh, we should finish it up next week. And then we're going to be starting a brand new series in July, and I'm actually, you know, I say this a lot, so forgive me, but I'm very excited about it because this is actually one of my favorite books of the Bible um, that's not um, one of the typical favorite books of the Bible, even though it's a well-known book of the Bible. We're going to take several weeks, and uh, kind of like we did with Acts in a lot of ways, we're not going to necessarily go through it, you know, verse by verse, or go through the entire thing. Um, but we're going to go through pits and pieces, and we're going to spend the next several weeks, starting in July, going through the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is an amazing book. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And it's a book that gives us so many insights on life and how to live. But, but more than that, it's, it's, it's God's way of living. It's God's way of having wisdom. The word wisdom, and I don't want to get into it because I'm going to start preaching on, on Proverbs, but, but the word wisdom comes from a Hebrew word, and we're going to talk about that in a later, but it really means skills for living. It is really a book of wisdom, but it's more than that. It's a book of, of how to live. How does God want our lives to look in, in kind of a day-to-day -day way? Not just in the spiritual, which is obviously a major part of it, but also in just kind of you're getting up, going around, how, how to have the wisdom. Because here's the thing I found. There's a lot of knowledge in our world today and very, very little wisdom. And so we're going to spend some time looking in the book of Proverbs. We're going to start that, again, Lord willing and Lord's plan, the first week of July. And so I'm looking forward to that. But today we're going to kind of look at something I felt like was very timely and very important. Uh, it is Father's Day, but here's the deal. You need to understand, I'm going to tell you this from the beginning. This is not the week for you, well, I'm not a dad, or I'm not a grandpa, or I'm not a guy. I can turn it off. I can just kind of cruise and try to figure out what we're going to do after service. This is for everyone. Uh, I, I try to, uh, one of the things that, that I'm kind of weird about, I guess, is I don't do a lot of, well, it's Father's Day, i got to do this type of message. Or it's Mother's Day, i got to do this type of message. However, there are times where I feel like God speaks very clearly in my heart about needing to share something that is very timely just based on the day and the time and the season that we're in. And this was one of those things. I, I, I was not planning on doing this. I literally, uh, Tuesday when I came into the office, I was planning on scent and God kind of changed some things. So I know this is what God would want us to look at this morning, but this is for all of us. You say, Aaron, I'm not, a, I'm not a dad, I'm not a mom, I'm not a nephew, or I'm not an uncle or an aunt. Or Listen, if, if you are in contact with children, this message is for you. And here's the deal. Not that I did this on purpose, but just look how this wonderfully worked. You were in contact with children today. They handed you a donut. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky of me, isn't it? Okay? So this is for all of us. Some of us may be in seasons of our life where we have more opportunity to do this, and some maybe are seasons where we have less opportunity to do this. But this is something that I believe is in God's Word and therefore is for all believers to do. And I think it's very important. The title of the message this morning is Walk This Way. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. And Father, I know that you placed this on my heart. And Father, as we look at these things, God, I pray that there would just be a, your Holy Spirit would just come in a powerful way and open our heart, open our mind, 
open our understanding to see these things. That, Father, I believe that this is so important. And, Father, I think we have, we need to understand that. So, God, I pray that we would all fight the, the desire to say this doesn't concern me. It's not a, this is not for me. This is for all of us. And I pray that we would understand that and hear that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, and I want to kind of give you a little bit of background of the book, not really great background, but just a little bit, a little bit of context, because when we understand that, we can understand a little bit more about why God is doing what he's doing when he's doing it. Deuteronomy really kind of means, when you break it down in the Hebrew, it kind of means the repetition or the repeating. Um, There's been some disagreement about really what that word means. There's been some talk about when it was translated from Hebrew into Latin, there was some misinterpretation interpretations of it, but really, in a lot of ways, it, it's this concept of Deuteronomy meaning the second reading, or, or this idea of the second reading of the law. Basically, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of what we call the Pentateuch. It's a group of five books before we get into Joshua, and basically, it's the stories of, of creation in Genesis, of course, of the Exodus, and the wanderings of the children of Israel right before they enter into Canaan. So basic, or the promised land. So basically what Deuteronomy is, in a lot of ways, is a repetition of what has been stated before. Now here's the thing. There is a reason and a purpose and a plan of God of having Deuteronomy there. I've always said this and I've said it, I'll say it again. God is not into wasting ink and paper. It's there for a reason. And a lot of times when we see things repeated in Scripture, God is trying to get us to really understand it. The fact that God takes an entire book to repeat to his people some concepts means that these are some pretty important concepts. But also at the same time, we need to understand the context or the timing of when Deuteronomy is spoken or uh, shared with the people. This is where they're getting ready to go into the promised land. So this is basically, it is is go time, it is time to enter into this place that is not just a promised land, but is filled with people who are not necessarily living the way that God wants them to live. It is very pagan, very idle area. It's not a a God-fearing area at all. And so God knows that they're getting ready to enter in. And God also knows what's going to happen in the book of Joshua that we know as well, which is, uh, unfortunately, the Israelites don't always do a great job of really driving out all the inhabitants of this area. And so in Deuteronomy, basically through Moses, Moses is sharing with the people once again some of these concepts and laws so that they have them fresh on their mind as soon as they head into the promised land. Now, Here's the thing, if you know much about biblical history or Israel's history after Deuteronomy and when they enter the promised land, a lot of people have described it, I think I have as well, as the idea of a circle. We see a very circle type of relationship with God and how they handle things, and we see it throughout the Old Testament. Basically, this is what happens. Basically, everything's going great, and you can say, okay, that's at the top of the circle. They're loving God, they're following God, they're doing these things, but eventually over time, and sometimes not over years, but over decades, and sometimes even over centuries, they begin to fall away from God. They begin to do their own thing. They begin to kind of think, I can handle this on my own. We all have that nature at times to basically, when things are going well, to kind of think, hey, you know, God, I don't know if I need you as much. Or God, it may not be so important that I'm doing all the things that you really asked me to do, because look how good things are. 
And that begins to happen to Israel. And so they begin to fall away. And then God begins to send prophets and warnings and say, listen, you need to turn. You need to come back to me. And we got to remember that a lot of times this is over decades. This isn't like God gives them this for a day and then, hey, you didn't do it. Now he brings judgment. Some of these things take decades and time and years but eventually if the children of Israel don't turn God brings discipline and usually that's in the form of captivity or or other things and they're taken away from the promised land or basically God promises that if you will follow my laws you'll be in this land forever but if you don't you won't and so they turn away from God God brings some type of judgment and through that discipline through that judgment basically God they turn back to God basically, if if you want to say the nine o'clock, and then they begin once again to serve God. And this circle just kind of happens over and over and over again. And and one of the things is, is there's probably several reasons. I'm not going to sit here this morning and say, this is the reason why we continually see that circle in the history of Israel. But I want to think, I believe that this is probably a major one. Because we see it mentioned several times in Deuteronomy, trying that God's trying to get them to understand this, and in turn trying to get us to understand this. And here's what it is. Let's look at Deuteronomy. We're going to look at actually a couple of passages. So if you have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4, if you have uh, your phone, you can find it there, obviously, and then the notes will be up on the screen. So let's start looking at this and see what we can see. Deuteronomy 4, we're going to start with verse number 9, look at verse 10, and then jump ahead to 13 and 14. This is what it says. This is God speaking through Moses. Only be careful. Only be careful. And watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Now let's stop there for just a second. Context is important here, okay? These are individuals that have seen some pretty incredible expressions of God's power, God's mercy, God's goodness, God's judgment. They've seen a lot of stuff, okay? And so God here through Moses, as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, says don't forget what you've learned, what you've seen, and what you've experienced. And now God takes it one step further. He says, teach them to your children and their children after them. Teach them to your children and their children after them. Number chapter, uh, verse 10. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Harem, Harem, When he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn and revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. Now let's stop here because there's there's two parts of this that are very important. There's this concept of remembrance. There's this concept of learning. But there's also this concept of teaching the younger generation what you've seen and what you've heard. Vital, okay? God is bringing it up several times. We're going to see this throughout. Now let's go ahead and go to verses 13 and 14. Let's jump ahead. He declared to you his covenant. This is what happened when he met. The Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two stone tablets. Look at verse 14. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. 
So what Moses is doing here is speaking through, God is speaking through him, and he's basically saying, listen, you remember all this stuff, all the laws, all the, the precepts, all the understandings that God has shown you, now that we're getting ready to enter in, now is the time more than any to remember and to teach your children. Why? Because they are now entering into, quote unquote, the enemy's territory. Now they are, not, they, are in the, they are not in the promised land, but now they're headed into the promised land. But the promised land is not necessarily a land that is, is just flowing with milk and honey. It's flowing with people who are living lives that are not what God has asked them to live. I'm not going to get into it this morning. If you're interested and, and have an hour and a half, you can come talk to me about the people that lived in the promised land. These are not good people, I'm sorry to say. They were people that had no problem sacrificing their own children and burning them to a God. These were people that were living lives of sexual immorality. These were people that were living lives in direct contradiction to what God has spoken in his word. And here's the deal. This was not happening over a 10-week period or a 10-day period. This was literally happening for hundreds of years. And so God says, listen, you're going into that culture. You're going into these things. And here's the deal. It's going to affect my people. He knew it would. But he's saying, listen, you need to remember and you need to teach. Remember and teach. Here's the thing you need to get. Write it down. Put it on your mirror. I don't care if you're, like I said, grandpa, grandma, you have kids in your neighborhood. Listen, parenting, and I use parenting as a, the, the concept here of, of making an impact in the lives of kids, okay? I use parenting because it's an easy thing to understand. But listen, parenting kids to know and love Jesus requires intentional training, if you think that you're just going to wake up one day and all of a sudden be training your kid how to love Jesus and know him, you are fooling yourself. It's not going to happen. It takes intentional training. It takes you saying, you know, I'm going to make a plan and I'm going to follow my plan. So let's continue now. Let's keep going in Deuteronomy. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, we see this again. Look, verse 1 through 3. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord God your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So once again, Moses is speaking here, and he's speaking uh, in, from, from God's words, and he's basically saying, okay, here we go. We're getting ready to go again, and he repeats it once again. Listen, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So once again, we're seeing this concept. We're seeing it happen. Now let's continue on. We're going to really be looking and take our text this morning from basically these verses. So now Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. 
Write them on the door frames of your houses and of your gates. So here in Deuteronomy 6, God is using Moses to continue on what he shared in Deuteronomy 4. But now God is basically helping us and he's giving us, in a lot of ways, some application. Okay, what does this look like? How do we, how do we train our kids intentionally? How do we have a plan to make that happen in our children, in our neighbors, in our grandkids, or whoever it may be? How do we do that? Because if we're going to have an intentional plan, if we're going to be intentional about training, we need help sometimes to know what that is. And so we're going to look at three different things this morning to kind of help us to understand how to do that as effectively as we can. And I believe that as we look, we're going to see in this verse some of those things. All right. So here we go. Let's look chapter or the first thing. Number one, this is the most Uh, There has to be the first thing for obvious reasons. Number one, we need to have the law of God upon our own hearts. Okay? We have to, listen, listen, I I was, you know, I was talking to Wendy this morning and she asked about, you know, you know, about youth ministry and we were talking a little bit about it. I was a youth pastor for 15 years and one of the things that was so hard for me and so frustrating for me is, is we had youth on Friday nights and that wasn't what was frustrating, okay? But what was at times was we would have kids that would come and their parents would drop them off at six o'clock or whenever we started and they would and they would pick them up whenever it was over and that was the only time I ever saw them. And I remember I would go out and I would talk to them and I, I'd go to their car and I knew them by name and oh you know and, and I remember one one individual several years ago now, I think it was probably 12, 13 years ago. Um, actually in the in, in that 15 years, so even longer, 20 years ago now. And we were talking, and, and I said, man, I'm so glad that, use the child's name, I'm so glad that they're, they're coming, you know, and I made the comment, I said, man, it'd be great to see you on a Sunday. And, and, and this father kind of looked at me, he said, yeah, you know, I, 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 just, I just want my kid to, 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 to really kind of, you know, be a good guy, you know, and I really want them to, you know, kind of learn these things, and I think it's important, and I, I just said, I, and I, I guess I was just a jerk at the time, I don't know, or just bold, I just said, well, what about you? And he said, well, what about me? And I said, listen, do you understand the mixed messages that you are sending your child? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, you say it's important for them, but by your not being around, you're basically saying it's not important to you. Listen, we need to understand something. We cannot, and this is in your notes, uh, well, I'll wait there. We have to have an understanding that to really express what God wants us to express to our kids, we have to have it first. We have to understand it first. In Deuteronomy 9, 6, this is what it says. Or 6, 9, I can't remember. Is it up there? I got it. There it is. Right? It says, and I'm going to have to use it up here. It's all right. It says this, it says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Your hearts. Can I ask you a simple question? How is the laws of God, the commands of God, the love of God, the grace of God, how is it written on your heart today? Okay? It's so easy. Listen, it's so easy. Oh boy, I wish my kid this, or I wish my kid that, or I want this, or I want this for my spouse. Or what. What is, what is, where are you at in your walk with Jesus today? Because it's important you get this, and this is in your notes. Listen, you can't hand down a faith that you don't already own. Okay? You can't. 
And you go, yeah, I know this is real simple. I know this is an easy one. But it's one that we tend to forget. It's one that we tend to miss. So what does God require of us? What does that look like? Once again, Deuteronomy 10, 12, this is what it says. It says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What does this look like to have God's law on our life? It requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Okay? Question. Real simple, real easy. Does your life look like this verse? Is your life, does it, does it have the fear of God? Remember, we've talked about this. The fear of God is not running away and hiding. It's, it's an awe and a reverence of him. Do you live in a way that pleases him? How do we please God? By being obedient to what he's asked us to do. Do you love him and serve him with everything you are? Because here's the deal. I'll be honest with you. Like, and I'm going to be personal because I'm a dad too. I want this type of life. I want my son to live that way. And I know that you would want, you, know, you want my son to live that way too. And I want your kids to live that way and your grandkids and your neighbors and those things. But here's the deal. You know what? How they're going to do that? By modeling how we live. And again, if we're not showing them those things, if we're not helping them, if we're not basically saying, listen, this is what this looks like. If we're not saying, listen, walk this way, they won't very easily. They won't very easily. Listen, I've told parents this for a number of years. And again, I'm going back a little bit to the youth pastor days because it just fits. But I remember parents would walk up to me and, and thank me. Oh, boy, i just seen such a growth in my kid and my, my child. And I, I've said the, the same thing to them that I'm going to say to you. I said, listen, my job as your kid's youth pastor, my job as your pastor is not to basically make a foundation, okay? My job is to uh, come beside you after you have already begun that foundation and help you put some of the walls up in your child's life. That's my place. What happens, unfortunately, is because we as a society have failed in this. We as the church have not done a good job at the home level first. We have brought our kids here and we've seen these kids come in and this is what's happened. And I've seen it over and over and over again. And maybe I'm from the Midwest so you're going to have to understand this analogy. And so me as a youth pastor, I begin to build and I begin to help them and I begin to put up these structures. And I'm like, okay, okay, we got the walls up. Okay, you know, we're, we're doing good here. And here's what tends to happen. They, these kids will go out into life They'll go out into college or, the, or, or wherever you want to say. And you know what will happen when you put a house up with no foundation? It blows over pretty easily. God started this a certain way. Before God ever made a church, he made a family and a home. It starts in your home. You want to train them intentionally? I will join you, I will help you, I will give you tools, I will be a part of that training. But listen, if you're not building a foundation in the home, you will find how easy it is for your kids to have their house really blow down. Amen. It'll happen. It's important that we get that. So model it for them. Show them. Show them what it looks like. 
walk this way. So important. So it's got to start in you. It's got to start in your heart. Number two, we need to impress them on our children. Deuteronomy 6, 7, the first part, it says this. It says, impress them on your children. I love that word. I love that concept of impressing, this concept of taking, um, I, I always think of like something that's moldable or pliable and impressing on there. You know, like I remember when I was uh, a kid and even when Easton was younger, you know, we get Play-Doh, you know, and you play with Play-Doh. And I don't know if you ever did this with Play-Doh, but you get one of those machines, you know, and you put the Play-Doh, it's not a machine, it's a plastic toy. But anyway, like a machine to me. And you put the Play-Doh in and then you press the crank and then whatever the hole is, you know, so if it looks like, you know, a little spaghetti, it can come out like spaghetti, or maybe it'll be like a star shape, and it'll come out of a, you know, like a star. You know, but here's the thing I, I've learned about that. Like, I can take the whole setup, and I can have my Play-Doh, it's all set, I pick my favorite color, and I'm good, I got my little, my little toy, or my machine, or whatever, I get it all, and listen, I can even put the Play-Doh into it, and get ready. But here's the thing. If I just leave it there and walk away, nothing happens. There has to be some pressure and some force and some movement to impress the Play-Doh to do what I want it to do. And God here is saying, listen, listen, I don't want you to just, he says, I want you to teach your kids, yes, but I want you to impress on them what God's word is. I want you to be willing to take the time, energy, effort to impress on them what I want them to see and understand. I want you to be willing to put the time, the effort, and the energy into molding, basically, my children into who I have called them to be. And a lot of times we think that as long as we just have the Play-Doh and the machine in somewhat close proximity to each other, we may even put the Play-Doh in the machine that somehow magically, somehow their impression will be made. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. There has to be that willingness to do more. Yes, we have to know. Yes, we have to have a faith that is modelable. That's even a word. We have to have that. But then it takes the next step. And that's us willing to impress. Listen, if we're not willing to do that, we're missing part of the equation here. You say, well, well I, again, I don't have any kids. Or maybe I don't have any nieces or nephews that live close to me. Again, there are kids running around this church. How are you impressing them? How are you willing to invest in their lives? How are you willing to, to help me as a parent or others as parents or others as grandparents to get that molding clay or that, that Play-Doh into a moldable state? Because here's the thing I've also learned about Play-Doh. You leave the cap off, guess what happens to it? It dries up. And then you know what? It doesn't matter. It's hard. It's very difficult to get it back into that way where basically you're able to get it through that impression. It's not impossible, don't misunderstand me, but it is not easy. It's not easy. But our focus, our desire, our plan is to impress on our children. Listen, it's really easy to also begin to try to impress them in other ways and other things. Okay, one of the greatest, I believe, tricks of the enemy 
with Christians and Christian kids and Christian things is to basically make the focus of your parenting, the impression of your parenting, something different than what God has called us to make the impression on. Okay? Listen, it's in your notes. The godly training of our kids should be the goal and focus of our parenting. Meaning, our goal, our plan, what we do, the focus, should be about helping them love and know Jesus. Now, here's the deal. You say, well, well, how, how does that happen? How do we see other things being pulled in? Listen, it, it can be really, really good things, but that shouldn't be the focus. Let me give you an interesting, weird way of putting this. Okay, let's say you, you raise your kid up, and this kid is just awesome and brilliant in the way of science and medicine and all these things. And I mean, so you do everything. Your focus is to make sure that your kid has a DR period in front of their name. Is that wrong? Absolutely not. That's exciting. That's great. That's awesome. And so your kid, that you do every, oh, I'm going to put him in the best schools. You know what? Yeah, I know there's church. And I know there's important things that he needs to know about God. But you know what? Nah, what's more important is that he knows this stuff. And, and you focus on these things. And, and yeah, I know that, that you know, maybe this isn't the best school for him to go to in terms of really knowing what God's word says about the truth. But you know what? This will look really good on a college resume. And, and maybe, you know, I, but this is all going to be good. And so this all happens. And your kid grows up. And they become this amazing doctor. One day, 20 years from now, your kid stands up in front of a lectern and says, our world, I have some amazing news. Because of my knowledge, because of my things that I've accomplished, I have come up with a cure for cancer. And you know what? We'd all celebrate and jump and go crazy. But the very next day, your kid walks across the streets, hit by a bus, and stands before the Lord. Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You go, but Aaron, think of all the people that will be saved from cancer. Bible also says, don't fear this passing away. So, now am I saying that you shouldn't want your kid to come up with a cure for cancer and be a doctor? Absolutely not. But that shouldn't be your focus. That shouldn't be your focus. Our focus as parents is that our children have a real, tangible relationship with Jesus that is an anchor in their life. Amen. My goal as a parent is not that my child gets the best grades. It's not that he's the star of the team. It's not that he is, 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 is this, that, or whatever. My goal as a parent is that one day I will hear Jesus say to my child, well done, good and faithful servant. You say, Aaron, I don't have any kids. Join me in that. I need your help as a parent. You say, Aaron, I'm just a grandfather. Oh my goodness, do you understand the impact that you can have, the impression that you can make? Look at Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, Solomon is, is writing and he says, listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father. He's talking about David as his father. Still tender and cherished by my mother. Verse 4. Then he taught me and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. A father saying, Come here, kid. Come here, kiddo. Let me impress this on you. 
Yeah, I'm proud that you, you know, uh, congratulations, your, your daughter was the homecoming queen. That's awesome. Great. Awesome. I'm proud. Oh, you, you, your kid got great grades. Oh, that's sweet. So proud of you. Does your kid love and know Jesus? All those things are fine, but they have to be secondary. They have to be secondary. A verse we all know and hear, heard before, Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So what's the opposite of that? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay? Bring them up in that. Show them. Help them live that way. Number three. Number three is more of a practical application that we're going to look at. Because I think God really shows us here this. Deuteronomy uh, chapter, or verse point three. How do we practically apply this in our daily lives? Okay, so what does this really look like? Okay, so first we got this understanding. We have to have it. You can't have what you don't, you know, you can't give what you don't have, okay? First thing. Number two, it has to be something that is important to us. It has to be the focus, that impression of God's word, God's laws, God's love, God understanding who God is, all of these things. But then how do we do that? Okay, especially really the second one. Okay, especially the second one. How do we do that? Well, great. Here's the thing. We see how we do that in a lot of ways in Deuteronomy 6. This is what it says, starting with verse numbers, the second part of uh, verse 7. It says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and of your gates. Listen. You need to constantly be in prayer if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you just have kids in your neighborhood, asking God to give you small windows of opportunity to share Jesus with them. And if you will pay attention, hear me here, you will be blown away by the opportunities you will receive. Blown away. Okay, this is not, listen, listen, this is what's great about this. God is not saying you need to have a PH or you need to have a doctorate in theology to do this. He is not saying, listen, get the Bible open with your eight-year-old and discuss the original Hebrew and the original Greek, the Old and New Testament. What did he say to do? Remember what God has done and teach your kids about it. You say, Aaron, well, what's God done? Um, um, um. <clears throat> It's all here, God's word. And even more so, what God has specially done in you and your family. It's an understanding where, listen, I've used this example before and I think it's just so important. We, you know, several years ago, my, my Easton, we were watching one of those nature shows. I know I've talked about this before, forgive me. But, but in this nature show, they were just showing these unbelievably beautiful pictures. Gorgeous pictures of, of what God has created. And of course, here it came, over billions of years. And you know what? I remember time and time again, it would be him or me. We hit this little button called the pause button. And we'd say, you know, Easton, a lot of people believe a lot of different things. But we believe that God created this world. That the beauty that we are watching in this show was not an accident. It was a loving creator who brought it all together. 
and made it happen. We would do that over again and over. Probably drove him nuts as a three and four year old. And yes, we did it as a three and four year old. Well, guess what happens now? If we're watching one of those shows, mom and dad don't have to say it anymore. He'll stop. We don't believe that, do we, Dad? No, Easton, what do we believe? We believe that God made this world. We believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't have to be this in-depth theological discussion. It just has to be an opportunity as you're getting up and getting down, moving around, just little things. Little things. Listen, I'll give you a real easy one if you don't do this now, okay? Real easy. You can all do it. You can do it this afternoon. Make a new tradition in your family. Do not eat until you bless the food and pray for it. And thank God for it. You say, Aaron, oh, really? Really? Yeah, really. I remember as a child, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for this food. Amen. Did it every meal. Why? Because it centers your home and your family on where that food came from. Making us thankful and remembering. It's interjecting God into our lives. Listen, listen, it's real simple. If God is the most important thing to you, if you are loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, wouldn't it be actually completely natural that God would be a part of your day-to-day -day conversations with people? I mean, that's, that's a natural thing. That shouldn't be hard. Let it be there. Let it be a part. Let me give you another one. I, I, I thought this was interesting. You know, I, I don't know. Don't raise your hands because I know that some of, and this is not wrong or good or whatever. It's just, just normal. How many of you at your home, somewhere in your home, have a scripture on your wall? It may be in the bathroom. I mean, you know, I mean, you know it may be over the, the door frame of your house. You know, it may be a verse that we all know very, very well. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Or whatever it might be. Okay? Listen, if it's there, would you do me a favor? Would you use it? More than decoration? Will you look at your child or look at your grandson? Your grandson comes into your house and you're just sitting around hanging out. And you say, hey, hey, grandson. You see that verse on the wall? Yeah, Grandpa. You know what that means? Do you know why that's important that Grandma and I have it on our wall? No, Grandpa, tell me. This is why. Huh, cool. Let's go play. Planting seeds. Planting seeds. Making a difference. Symbols and door frames and, and, and speaking along the road. And when you lie down and get up, all those things. Listen, you're investing and those investments are going to come back. And when they do, you're going to see some amazing returns on those investments. You go, but Aaron, it's just a little bit at a time. I know, <laughs> I know. But one thing I've learned about God and his economy is when we invest in him and in his ways, when we train our children and train those kids in knowing who God is, listen, the investments can be massive, massive. As we close, I want to kind of share a little bit, you know, we talked about this earlier, kind of bring this to a close. We talked about this circle. Talked about this circle with Israel and, and, and then we saw some things in Deuteronomy where God was saying, teach. And, and I said, you know, there's probably some things and it's many, many things that why they just kept going in this circle. 
and one that I truly believe is very, very important is this. The reason why Israel constantly got into a problem was they failed in remembering, but more importantly, in teaching their children and their grandchildren about who God is. If you look at our world today and you see what our world is, is, is seeing and, and the decline that we've seen, I think that we could also point the finger at us as far as our culture, as far as we have failed our kids. We have failed to train them. We have failed to intentionally and practically make this a part of their lives. We have gotten to be parents where we've basically just dropped them off at church and then gone our own way. It's not God's way. It's got not God's plan. And I think one of the things that we see over and over again in Israel's history is the fact that they stopped teaching their, their children. And here's the other thing that we've learned. And I think this has become very, very clear. You know what I've learned about the enemy? The enemy is not really original. Do you realize that? The enemy's brilliant. Don't misunderstand me. He's a, a formidable foe. But he's not real creative. You know why? That's God. God creates. The enemy imitates. He does. You think about what the enemy does. So many things. He just takes, he imitates, and he perverts. And so a lot of times when we see what the enemy's doing, we can also get an understanding of what we should be doing because it's what God wanted us to do in the first place. But one thing that we've learned, I think, over the last several years was how much the enemy has begun to focus in on our children. Have you seen this? Why do you think the enemy has done that? Because here's why. Here's why I believe. The enemy knows this word of God better than you and I do. And he sees God's pattern. And he says, hey, you know, there must be something to this training children. There must be something in helping children to know and love God. It's pretty important here. God's bringing this up quite a bit. You know, I wonder if I could train children. The results would be the exact opposite of what God would want. Listen, it's very interesting. When we turn on the TV or the internet, where these battles are taking place now. When I was younger, you know where it was? Teenagers. It was. You know, oh, the teenagers, you got high school kids and all the this and that. Now it's children. Now it's kids. I need you to get this in your heart deep. If you have your notes, look at it. If not, look on the screen. If you are not intentionally training your kids to follow and love Jesus, then you are exposing them to a culture that will train them to follow the ways of the world. Period. Listen, folks, if you can't see this, I, I, there's nothing more I can show you. This is not patty cake playtime with our kids. The enemy is after them to kill, steal, and destroy. And unfortunately, we are in this position not because of what they have done, but because we as parents 
and neighbors and uncles and aunts. If, like I said, if you, are in, if you are in contact with children, meaning if you show up here on a Sunday, you have been in contact with children, you have a responsibility set not by me, but by God. Because here's the deal. If we don't train them, the enemy will be more than happy to. More than happy. Why is this so important? Why is this message so timely? Why did I take a break from everything to get this in? Why did I call John Gardner up and say, man, can you help me do a different slide? And, put, and he did a great job and put a beautiful slide together to show this. Because I've realized, like I've never realized before, that the lack of training by us is simply an open door for the enemy to train our kids. Amen. And it's time, folks. It's time for us to stop feeling like it's not a responsibility. Listen, I am a parent, I'm a father, and I need your help to raise my child to know and love Jesus. When I was a kid, and I've seen it many times, we've done it here, we'll bring a child up, right? We're going to have a, a moment, we're going to dedicate the child. And, and really, we're not dedicating the child as much as we are dedicating the parents, and what I've seen over the last couple of years, and, and, and this has been really, really good, is we've even seen it grow into not just a dedication of the parents, but a dedication of the church family as well. Listen, there are children that God has placed in this church, beautiful children, that you have the opportunity to make a difference. Yes, mom and dad need to be the primary drivers of that with partners, with family. And, but you have a part in that to play. You have an opportunity to, as the parents come and they're building that, that concrete foundation, you have the opportunity to grab a hammer and say, you know what, I'll help you put up a wall. Yeah, I'll share my life with my, your, your kid. I'll, I'll spend time with them. I'll talk to them and see how their week was. I'll ask them, what did you learn downstairs? What did Miss Emily teach you about Jesus this week? If we're, as a church family, not willing to train our children, the enemy will. And I do not, I don't want to lose a single one of our kids. And listen, I get it. It's their call, it's their choice, and they will make that call. But listen, my job as a parent is to make that choice as easy as it is, as it can be to accept Jesus and as hard as it is to accept the world. Are you intentionally training your children? Because again, the world is intentionally working to train them if you're not. Father, we come to you right now. And God, one of the truths that we need to understand over a parent, grandparent, or whoever we may be, these are not our children. They're your kids. You have simply placed us in a place to help them to know and to love you, to know who you are, to have a real relationship with you a relationship that is an anchor that no matter what the world 
tries to lie to them about, they say, no, 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 no. I don't believe that because God's word says it. Not even because mom and dad say it or grandma and grandpa say it, but because God's word says it. That's their authority. Their authority isn't based in mom and dad's relationship with Jesus because mom and dad helped them. Grandma and grandpa helped them. Aunt and uncle helped them to see what a real relationship with Jesus was all about. And when it happened, they said, I want that for my life too. You see, when the real truth and goodness of God is displayed in front of people, most people will say, you know what? I want, I'm hungry for that real relationship with God. Still their choice, and I totally understand that. But God, I pray that as we intentionally train our children, that they will see and have an experience and encounter with you that will change everything in their lives. That, Father, that our focus would not be on, hopefully, our child becomes the, the next great star athlete, or that our, our would get just just into the best colleges. God, not saying those things are wrong in any way, shape, or form, but that our first priority would be that our kids know and love you. But Father, as we close in prayer, Father, I ask that first and foremost, for a couple things, number one, that Father, that for every single individual here online, that they would have a new sense of mission and purpose when it comes to our children. Whether they're in a season of life where that, that influence is great because maybe there's a child living in their home or if it's not so great, meaning maybe they don't have a child living in the home or maybe, maybe they're aunt or uncle, but, 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 but their nephew and niece, maybe they live farther away, but God, they still have an opportunity, whether it's family or kids here or their neighborhood kids, whatever it might be. I think, God, that you would give us a new sense of purpose, a new sense of mission, a new sense of just God's stubbornness almost that says, know what? If it's up to me, I'm going to do everything I can to not lose one. That every single one that comes into my sphere of influence will see what it is to love Jesus and have a deep, real relationship with him. But Father, I'm not, I know just how these things work. But Father, right now, there may be some parents or grandparents or aunt and uncles, and, and the enemy is coming in with shame and guilt, saying, you know what, you failed your kid. You know what, you, you, you focused on the wrong things. Boy, you know, your kid's not doing this or not doing that. Boy, you really screwed up. You know what, in the name of Jesus, I speak against that lie from the pit of hell. God does not ask us to be perfect parents. No one is. And maybe we didn't handle things the way we should. I know in my life I can go back and go, boy, I failed Easton here. I wish I had done this better here. But listen, it's not about perfect parenting. It's about a perfect motive. And that perfect motive says, I'm going to do everything I can from this day forward to make a difference in my kid's life. 
The past is gone. There, we can't get it back. But today is the day where we can begin a new training regiment. Today is the day where e I don't care if they're in your home or they're 38 years old. It doesn't matter. We can still have the opportunity and the influence to show them what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. It is not too late. The reason God, the reason why the enemy comes with that guilt and shame is to keep you from moving and doing something about it today. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. You still have the opportunity. Make a commitment today. And again, listen, I get it. Kids get to make their own mind up just like you and I do. This isn't about forcing kids because we can't do that. This is about modeling. It's about remembering. It's about teaching. It's about training. Their decision is between them and the Lord. And as much as I wish that we could force them, we could make them do the right thing, we can't. We place that in God's hands. We pray, we do all the things that God's asked us to do, and then we trust that God will do everything to bring them to know Him. But one thing we should always know, if we don't train, others will. So let's be good trainers. Let's be good followers of Jesus and our kids and have something to model and see. So God, we love you and we thank you. Father, I don't have to say who wants to do this because this should be everybody. This, this is a simple one. And so God, I'm just praying for me. I'm praying for every individual that's here. I'm praying for every individual online that may be hearing it today on Father's Day or, or 10 years down the road. I'm praying that for each and every one of us, we will all decide that from this day forward, we will make a new commitment to intentionally train our children to know and love Jesus. Help us, God. Help us. Draw us to yourself so that we can have the type of relationship worth following. So that we can look at our kids and say, listen, son, I'm not perfect, but walk this way and it will lead to life. Help us, Jesus. Help us. You're so good. You're so good. And we know that when we call and ask for help, you do help us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, again, I want to thank you for being here. For those that are here and online, listen to all our dads. And again, one of the reasons why for Mother's Day and Father's Day we celebrate everybody is because everybody has a part to play. And so today as we are honoring all our guys, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you for the love and the prayer and the leadership that you've given us, for the way that you've showed us how to live and how to be more like Jesus because we're following your example. We thank you that, that we also can learn from your imperfections and the things that happen in your life that aren't always perfect. But even in that, 
that we see Jesus' grace, mercy, goodness, and compassion. So dads, grandpas, aunts, or, or excuse me, uncles, brothers, all the guys, thank you. We love you and we appreciate you. Hope you have a wonderful day, a wonderful time celebrating the guys in your life and that you have just a wonderful week. Remember, we have prayer this Wednesday and next week is our picnic. Please sign up if you haven't done that. But again, hope you have a wonderful week. Happy Father's Day to everybody and we'll see you soon.